I've noticed a lot of attention lately going to an older episode of mine titled Let's Talk About Goth, Darkwave, and Other Sinister Sounds. In that episode, I kind of gave a brief overview of gothic music and gothic culture. And I kind of felt like it's not something I really talk about too often on the show. And since it has risen up back into the top podcast episodes listened lately, that maybe it was time to reapproach this subject. But today, I'm going to talk about what it's like to be a goth and a writer, because it really does affect how I see the world and how I describe it. So let's talk about that on today's episode of Project Shadow. Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. I also apparently write romance now. One of these days I'm going to get used to adding that to the list of things, but at least for now, I am not there yet. And today I wanted to talk to you about what it's like being a goth and a writer, because I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be a goth at heart. But before we get into all that, if you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It does help out a lot. It tells the algorithms to share the podcast with more people. The more people that listen, the bigger the community. The bigger the community, the better the chance we have of actually communicating with each other. And after all, that's why I do this in the first place. Thank you to everyone who's already done that. Alrighty. So I guess since this isn't a topic I do regularly on the show and... uh, the podcast has grown a lot since I last did this topic. We should start with a brief, oh, I can't, I don't want to say definition because definition is not the right word. There really isn't a set definition for what it is, what it means to be goth. And anybody who tells you that there is, is lying. Gothic culture is something that started back in the 70s and bled into the 80s and has continued to this day. Gene Loves Jezebel is the first band to have received the moniker in a French zine where they were their music was referred to as Le Punk Gothique, and the name stuck around. Bands like Bauhaus picked it up and carried it forward, and, well, we get to where we are now. But what does it mean? One, I would say that a goth is somebody who takes place, takes a part in the goth scene. But I don't think that that's appropriate, as even adequate of a definition for most people, because not every town has a goth scene, not every area has a readily available goth scene to actually participate in, so that's not necessarily the best way to define a goth. My own personal definition that I like to use, and it's not unique or original to myself, but the one that kind of sticks with me is a goth is someone who sees the beauty in darkness and in the macabre. Somebody who is drawn to these things and finds beauty and meaning and all manner of 
I don't know if joy is the right word, but it's the closest word that comes to mind when talking about it. We don't all dress alike, so don't let that fool you. You can dress however you want and be goth. There is gothic fashion, and some goths wear gothic fashion, but not all. There are various genres and subgenres of gothic music, but not all goths listen to them or listen to them exclusively. Goth, to me, is an attitude. It is a certain way of perceiving the world, of interacting with the world. I like to say that you know you're a goth if you can, if you fit one of two criteria. One, you laugh at a lot of macabre topics, that you find them funny. You find a certain humor in the darkness. And the second one, which is really a joke, so please don't be offended, is if you prefer vodka to rum. <laughs> and that is an old joke that goes back to the goth scene that I came up in, where, yeah, vodka was the uh, beverage of choice in most mixed drinks. If you order a vodka and Coke, you're a goth. <laughs> Probably. Bad joke. I'm sorry. Anyway. So, in trying to... See, this is a really hard thing to try to nail down, because it isn't one particular thing. And that's why I like the definition that I gave. It's somebody who finds beauty in the works of Edgar Allan Poe, or I would even say Emily Dickinson. Somebody who just finds skulls beautiful, who like ravens and skeletons and decrepit old buildings... There, there's a beauty in brokenness. And to me, that's a big part of what it means to be goth in most of the people I know who self-identify that way, including, well, myself. Now, having said that, as a writer, if you were listening the other day when I was talking about my concerns in realizing that some of the fiction that I'm working on is going to be romance fiction, I mentioned being a subgenre of a subgenre of a subgenre of a subgenre, and this is actually one of those subgenres, because while the fiction that I write is not technically gothic in the terms of gothic fiction, because I don't meet all of the criteria that go into it, my gothic sense of space, of person, of description, of time, of what makes a good story, pervade all the work that I do. And it's one of the things that has kept me for a very long time from allowing myself to even think of some of the works that I've done that you all have constantly told me are romantic stories to be that, because they really do have a very strong gothic sensibility. And when I look at my work, especially the, um, well, actually everything that I've been working on here lately, that gothic sensibility is just soaking in everything. I, I can't write a story without bringing some sense of supernatural horror into it. I can't write a story without it having that sense of darkness and that just little bit of gloom that comes in. And it's not because of some sense of depression or 
just wanting everything to be down. Because that's not what it is to be goth. It's about... To me, night is more beautiful than day. The moon is more beautiful than the sun. I would rather sit and look at the stars and the moon than look at the sun and the clouds. My husband and I had our first date at a cemetery, and many of the dates that happened afterwards. Because there's something about being around the dead that it isn't scary, it isn't spooky. There's something almost honoring about it, that we're bringing life to these lifeless places. That life should happen in these lifeless places. And we tried to be honorable and respectful to the dead. That's what I mean when I say my fiction is irreparably changed by me finding this beauty in darkness. I don't find a graveyard spooky. M many of them are beautiful. And just the idea of all of these people who once lived and walked the earth as I do, being there, it really sparks my imagination and it makes me think about all the generations who have come before. And it kind of makes me feel like I'm a part of this great continuity of the human race. I don't find that negative association that a lot of people would find there. And maybe that's because I went to my first funeral when I was five years old, and maybe it's because I loved the Adams Family growing up and wanted to be a member of it. I don't know. Maybe it's just my own internal freak nature coming out. But it's something that I love. And so when I think of love, when I think of romance, I think of pain, that pain of being apart, that pain of separation, that fear of what may happen in the relationship, what the future might hold. Romance, to me, is a frightening and terrifying genre. It's not the fantasy fulfillment genre that most other people see it as, which is why when people, when you all, described many of my works as fitting into that category, I didn't think that they did. But having thought about it a lot, you're right. That is what I do. Because finding beauty in the broken, in the dark, that is a wonderful thing. And if I can help just a few more people find that beauty, then I have done a great thing in this life. As a writer with gothic sensibilities, it has really colored a lot of the work that I've done over the years, and you can see it very prominently in Shine Like Thunder. You can see it a lot in the current version of the chain, you'll see it even more in the uh, revised and expanded version that I'm working on. This idea that everything has its own internal beauty, and sometimes it's the dark and darkness and the brokenness that brings that beauty out. You see, I'm not saying this in the way that I think a lot of modern fiction fetishizes broken people, making mental illness something sexy, making <sighs> injury, deformity, 
any of those things, that weird fetishization that's been happening in fiction lately? The dying teen genre of romance? I don't have any place for that. Because there's no fetishization. That's not something I even understand. That's not what I mean when I say broken. When I say broken, what I'm referring to is those cracks that we all have. Those pieces of our past that leave us a little bit shattered. Those scars from our history, from our lives, sometimes physical ones, that leave us changed, that never quite heal. That, to me, is beautiful. Especially when someone has the strength to admit that they have the scars, that they're bearing the scars. And the fortitude to actually bear those scars well, so that they can stand up and be strong and be counted, so that they can be the person that they want to be without being limited by those scars, by that brokenness, by those things that would normally hold us back. You see, back when I was coming up in the cut scene, this is what we looked at. We were the forgotten generation. We were the ones that were left behind. We were the ones that never had a chance because no one cared about us. When the drugs came to our town, well, we were just a town that needed to have a whole bunch of people thrown away. When disease came to our town, when the plague came, we were just people to be rounded up and thrown away. We were disposable. The powers that be didn't care about us. We didn't make enough money. We didn't dress right. We didn't act right. We weren't among the chosen of the wealthy elite. And we wore that with a, like a badge of honor. No, we're not the chosen. No, we are not the immaculate, the holy. We're not the ones that would be picked out of the crowd as the best. But we are the best. We work on our craft. We work on ourselves. We strengthen our minds and deal with our emotions. We don't just let them fester and boil and turn into something ugly and rotten on the inside. We face them. We stare down those horrid, red-eyed rages and those chilling, dead-eyed nights that want to take everything away from us. We have faced it all. And we pushed through, we persevered, and we made it to the other side. And all of these are qualities that you'll see in the characters that I write. From Shinobu, being broken from before birth, who carries a horrible affliction with him. But it's not one that he suffers quietly about. It's not one that defines him in a way that makes him just melt and hide away, slink away into the shadows where he can't be find, found again. No, those scars, that brokenness, that thing that would have cost him everything, that thing that would have, in other societies, caused him to be cast out, that's what defines him. That's what gives him strength. And we see that 
in Nathan and Daniel. We see this in quality in a lot of the characters that I write, because that, to me, is the defining characteristic of a goth, of somebody who has gone through this process, who has faced their demons, who has looked them in their gaping maws as their eyes peer deep into their souls, wanting to take everything away from them. In those hours, we have seen who we really are. And that changes everything about how you write. So you can't be sanguine about love, because you know, you know, that love is not just those wonderful moments of holding each other, those wonderfully erotic moments of being with one another. Love is the argument. Love is the fight. Love is that tension that tries to tear you apart when you first start coming together. Because you are two individuals. Your interests are different. Your personalities are different. Your lives are different. And now you're trying to forge a new life together. And there is fighting, and there is conflict, and there is friction. And all of those things make us stronger. They don't weaken us. They don't tear us apart unless we let them. I'm not saying that there's not times that you just go, oh, this isn't worth it, and check out. But in real love, in real love, there is struggle. In life, there is struggle. And learning to see that darkness, learning to write that darkness, to let it fill the story and permeate every aspect of it, that, that, my friends, that's real power. And that's what I try to do. Because that's what I want to bring about. I want people to have the same reaction to my words that they would have to a powerful song. I want my chapters to be songs on an epic album. I want them to have a rhythm and a flow and a mood and a tone. And yes, all stories have them. But the one that I'm writing, the ones that I tell, well, the bass has turned up just a little bit, and the guitars jangle loosely in the background. There is an odd echo in the voice as it drifts in and out, closer and further away. You can feel the panting breath on your neck as the story draws closer and closer. And hopefully, in the end, people will see their own struggles in the character's struggles. And you may be thinking, well, that sounds just like the process of writing. Of course it does. But it's important for us to realize what we are bringing to the table. Because not everyone sees things the same way. Not everyone has access to the same cognitive tools that define the world in the same way. And so just because you wear black and like to go out at night, that does not a goth make. Just because there are vampires in your story, that does not gothic fiction make. We face the darkness. We stare into the darkness. And often 
all too often, we find beauty there. And that's what it means to be a writer who is also a goth. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you haven't already, please do rate it in whatever app you're listening to me on. It does help out a lot. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show, in the show notes you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean. I would love to hear from you. And if you'd rather hit me up on social media, I am C.E. Dorset on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can find a link to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. If you've got a dollar, I always feel weird with this one. If you've got a dollar that you could pass my way, in the show notes you'll find a link to both the listener support and my Patreon. Thank you to everybody who does that. You really do help me keep the lights on and keep up with everything. Thank you so much. If you don't have any money right now or you don't feel like giving, that's perfectly all right. But if you know anybody that you think would like any of the work that I do, please share it with them. That helps out immensely as well. Alrighty. Until next time, don't forget to have the fun. Bye.